Well, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, for those of you, wow, you guys are feeling it. I like that. For those of you who've been traveling, welcome back. Uh, I was gone last week, too, and had a little chance to go back to Illinois and see the in-laws and my parents, too. Um, and so it was really nice. But at the same time, it's always so good to be back. So I'm really glad to see everyone and just really looking forward to the chance to spend this day with you, actually. Um, so good morning. Welcome. Happy New Year. One of the things that we have done as a bit of a tradition the first Sunday of every new year is use it as an opportunity to reconnect or look at something that has been key to us um, throughout the life of our church. So for example, in 2008, uh, that was a fun time in our church in that we were really learning how to articulate some things that were and are important to us in ways that we hadn't been able to before. When Beck and I came out here, we were just a couple of punks you know, maybe, I think she was 25 and I was 28 going on 29 or 29 going on. I mean, we were, we were punks. Little, now, if you're 20 or 29, I'm not saying you're a punk. <laughs> we were, we were like, we were green. And a few years in, we started to realize, oh, some of these things that we're trying to do, we're starting to learn about how to talk about them and communicate about them. So in 2008, we did this series to kick off the year that was just a vision series. Um, it's calling, and we called it Seeking to Make Our Great City Even Better because uh, we had developed a vision statement for our church, which is this, Mosaic Community Church seeks to make our great city even better by joining in Jesus' ongoing work in our world so that all people may live spiritually connected, purpose-filled, and satisfying lives. And so pretty much since 2008, every first Sunday of the new year, we try and touch on one of the aspects uh, of that vision statement just to set off the new calendar year and remember some things that are important to us. So today... That's what we're doing. And this week, uh, what we're going to be looking at is this phrase called living purposeful lives, uh, which we have found to be incredibly important. Uh, in, in fact, this summer, I've mentioned this before, um, I took some time to just meet people uh, around the city of Philadelphia and do sometimes formal, sometimes a little more informal types of interviews with them, asking questions about um, how they connect spiritually, how they connect to community, and how they connect to purpose. And one of the general themes that ran through almost every conversation I had was that everybody wants what they do with their lives to connect to something bigger and or to make a difference uh, in the world around them. So as I talked to people about purpose, oftentimes they would say, I just want what I actually do for a living to somehow contribute to society. Or I had a couple people uh, say, I want to be remembered after I'm gone. And that helped lead to the legacy series that we did uh, this past fall. And so this idea of purpose, connecting to something, living in a way that makes a difference, that makes a practical difference, was really important to people. People aren't so interested in just discovering ways to live that just make them happy, even. Uh, I, what I notice is that people aren't really happy unless they're helping the people around them experience a better life as well. So as I've been praying and thinking about this season coming up in the new year, particularly this winter and into the spring, we're going to look a lot at this idea of purpose. How do we find purpose in our lives? So we'll talk about ideas of like calling. Who has God made us to be? What has he made us to do? And so this Sunday, we're going to start by touching on that area, that area of purpose. And one of the things that's been really fun for me this fall is that a lot of the things 
that when Becca and I moved out here in 2003, as we got things kicked off in this church in 2004 that we prayed about, that we dreamed would happen, somehow this fall, they've started to happen in a way that we never thought or dreamed. Well, actually, we did think and dream, but you know when you think and dream, you don't think and dream it's actually going to happen. But this fall... Some of these things have been happening. So when we moved into this building, we had community meetings with the neighbors. What would you like to see happen? You know, almost all of them would come back to us and say, our kids have nothing to do. They're getting in trouble. We'd love to see an after-school program start. Well, that happened this fall. The blaze started. That's super encouraging. There was one weekend where it just seemed like everything that was happening with things that we talked and dreamed might happen someday and they happened. So I remember there was a Friday night, we had a poetry slam in this space, which for me, being an artist, having studied theater, I always wanted to be a part of a church where the arts uh, would be not just valued, but expressed. And so for there to be a poetry slam happening here, that was awesome, at least for me, I know. And then the next day was our Thanksgiving basket giveaway, which for years has been awesome. And for years has also been, you know, 30, maybe 35 families. This year, to our surprise, it was 150 families who signed up. Four days, we found this out, four days before we were supposed to provide all the Thanksgiving baskets. We had a budget for 30 and turkeys reserved for 30. So the week before Thanksgiving, we had to find you know, 120 more turkeys and the money to pay for them. And during the week, in less than 24 hours, our members and the people who are on our mailing list, like, rallied. And it happened. And so we had a poetry slam one night. The next day we have this huge, there, we gave away more Thanksgiving baskets than there are people in this room today. It was awesome, right? And then the next day we had a workshop on racial reconciliation. I thought, these are the things that we were thinking, man, if I had, like, a dream weekend 10 years ago when we were just starting out, what would be happening? It would look a lot like that weekend. Then the very next week, uh, we had a presentation from our Building It Together grant um, team leaders about who the Building It Together grantees were, who was receiving money. And we had the opportunity to take money from the money that we raised to remodel this. We set aside 10% to give away to the community. So we had $26,000 to give away, and we were able to announce the first 13000 this year. And we dreamed in the beginning about having some resources to invest in community development. And it was happening. This is in a month. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? Like these dreams that we've had, these purposes that we've hoped would happen someday, they're happening right now. Purpose. Why is it important? How can we be a part of it? Oh, and not just that. One last thing. Then we also realized during this, we have these great things happening with Building Together campaign, but we're also realizing in the last two years, our budget has uh, drifted down $65,000, which is kind of, that's a, oh, that's, you know, we're making it, but we're, we're sort of bubble gum and rubber banding some things together, and it's not sustainable, but we're getting there. And we're also realizing after this year, we're like, well, how are we going to do Building It Together again? Because the building campaign, which we set aside the money to do this for, that's wrapping up in November. So we put out a challenge to the church. We call it the BIT Legacy Challenge. And the idea is if we can um, exceed what we've budgeted for uh, our quarterly income by $10,000, $5,000 would go right into the Building It Together campaign. 
so that for chance, at the end of a year, we'll have $20,000 to give away again. And then 5000 the other 5000 or more, will go right into our operating budget so we can build sustainable systems, maybe hire some people to help grow the things that are happening. Well, we're one month into the first quarter, and we are right on track to hit that. So for me, this has been an incredibly encouraging fall where all of these things, all these purposes we had in mind, are starting to happen. So purpose. Why does it matter for you? Why is it important? Why is it important that you find and connect to purpose in your life? Why is it that people want to live a life that's practical and makes the world a better place? And as you can imagine, Jesus cared quite a deal about this. He had a purpose, and he led people into the purposes that God had made them for in their own lives. So today we're going to take a look at that. Sound interesting? I hope so. So interesting, I want to drink a coffee. I'm going to need a little extra energy. All right. So first, Jesus had a purpose. Shocker, right? But he did. When Matthew told the story of his life, Matthew tried to explain who Jesus was by reaching back and pulling in prophecy from the Hebrew scriptures to help explain to a whole group of people who Jesus was. And when he did that, one of the scriptures he pulled in was from the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah wrote, and Matthew says this, and he pulls in Isaiah. Matthew says, this was to fulfill fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. This is what Isaiah wrote. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. So yes, it would make sense that if Matthew's applying this to Jesus, that he would say God really affirms him. God loves him. But then he goes on, and this is the key phrase for us today. Um, And he says this, that the Lord says, I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Now, when we hear the term justice, normally we think of declaring what's right, declaring what's wrong. And that's true. That's a part of this word. It's, a, it's the Hebrew word mispat. There you go. You can write that down and impress your friends later. Mispat. But it means more than that. So R.T. France is a well-regarded New Testament theologian, and he wrote this. He said, justice here conveys that wider sense of the working out of God's good purpose for his people rather than just merely the legal sense of giving a right verdict. So the idea is that God has a purpose— And through Jesus, he's setting out to put everything back in order, to get things functioning according to his designs for people, for relationships, and for society. And this includes you and your life and who you are and what you were made to be and what you were made to do. God has a design, a preferred destiny, if you will, a purpose for your life. It's not random that you're here. It's not random that you're here in this room. And Jesus then, not only does uh, Matthew say, hey, there's a purpose for Jesus's life, but then Jesus himself speaks specifically about this in Matthew 5 when he's talking to the people who are around him. So he takes the focus for a moment off himself and puts it on the people who are listening. And he says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So when I read this, in a fun way, Jesus, I think, is really relying on a backdrop here, an undergirding, a context for understanding how the whole world works. And he's using it to make his point. You notice Jesus uses imagery like salt. Salt is a really cool thing. I like salt today. If you don't put salt in almost any dish, it doesn't taste as good, right? You don't want to overdo it, right? But you got to put salt in it for seasoning. It was the same in the time of Jesus. Salt had two purposes. And the first was to season things, to make good things taste even better, right? But there was a second use for salt back in the time of Jesus that isn't so common for us today. And that was to conserve or preserve meat in particular. So you would rub uh, meat with salt so that it wouldn't spoil, right? So there's this dual purpose here, uh, to make good things taste better and also to keep things from decaying, uh, to keep them fresh, to keep them uh, so that they're healthy and can be a blessing and a help to other people. So basically, Jesus is comparing the whole world to a piece of meat. Good in nature, but if neglected or left on its own, it decays. Disorder invades. Justice subsides. Things get worse. You can't just coast in this life. Things are either being improved or they're falling apart. It's one or the other. And so just like a big slab of meat, there's a beautiful image for you, Jesus is painting this as a backdrop of the world and how the world works. So there's a couple ideas I think that can be really helpful here. One is that uh, it's the idea that we live in a world of entropy. Entropy is kind of a fancy word to say something that hopefully I'll defancify. But there's this second law of thermodynamics, right, that says this. All systems tend towards chaos and disorder. Or another way to say this is when things are left alone, they naturally decay. Now, if you don't believe this, think about your desk at work over the course of time. If left alone, what happens? Think about the back seat of your car. Think about the bottom of your closet. I noticed this this week. I don't know why. I'm thinking about my shoes today. I realize I don't have a pair of shoes that doesn't have a hole in it. Even these shoes, you can't see it because they're black, but there's a hole right here I can stick my finger through. Things decay. Especially if you leave things alone or if they just continue doing what they've always done. These shoes are made to be walked on. They're fulfilling their purpose, but they're decaying as they do. They're wearing out. Everything decays. Without intentionality, that's what will happen. Now, some of you are in touch with this much more than your closet. Maybe you can see this uh, in society around you. So maybe you've heard gunshots outside your window. Uh, Maybe you work in a school where you have to scrimp and save just to buy supplies for your class. Someone tagged the outside of our building this week, a little decay happening right out front of our building. You know, perhaps you've experienced this in a personal way. Maybe you're in a marriage right now and it's tense. Uh, Communication isn't exactly flowing. Maybe you're angry 
but you don't know why. And if you just keep rolling along, that anger's not going anywhere. In fact, it's probably going to get worse. And part of your soul is just decaying, but you're not in touch with what's going on. I can relate to that. That happens to me more than you might think. Maybe your finances are way out of whack, so you can't even keep track of how much credit card debt you're sitting under right now. Something has to happen. Something needs to be done, or it'll just keep building and building and building and decaying and decaying. Left to itself, here's what I'm trying to say, left to itself, the world tends to decay or spoil just like meat does. Left to itself, on its own, the world grows darker. But the prophecy says that Jesus came to bring justice to all of these situations, renewal to all these situations, order to all these situations, healing to all these situations. And to do this, he has, I think, a somewhat surprising plan to accomplish all of this. His plan is you. You're his plan. You're it. In verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. In verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. You. I read another commentary that pointed out that there was an ancient saying in Rome around the time that this passage was written. I don't speak Latin very well, but it's something like, sole et sale nihil utilius, which means nothing more useful than sun, light, and salt. So Jesus is saying to his followers and offering, I think, the opportunity to anyone who may be listening in, you, you, you are the most necessary thing in the world. You. I'm bringing justice through you. I'm setting things right through you. I'm keeping things from rotting from decaying. I'm accomplishing my purposes through you. That is a big statement. You know, I don't spend, (laughs) maybe I've had my days, but I don't spend much of my life thinking that I'm God's gift to this great green earth. That is me. Usually I think my worst days are when I get a little bit too big of a head. And I remember those times. But Jesus is saying, Brad, you're the light of the world. I'm not really very comfortable (laughs) with that. Me? When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, that may offend some people, and rightly so. But for me, as someone who follows him, I'm like, yeah, Jesus, you're the light of the world. But he's saying, I'm the light of the world. He's saying, you are the light of the world. I think to take ideas like this in and to have them inform who we are and transform who we are and bless who we are, we have to have and develop an ability to what I'm calling think, or not think, listen with our right ears, but then also listen with our left ears. We have to listen through both ears. And here's what I mean. In the left ear, 
we're reminded of a very important theme in the Bible, uh, a theme that's been important to us here in this church, and that is the idea that our spiritual connectedness isn't based on anything that we're so awesome, that it's a gift, that it's something that Jesus gives to us, that he worked very hard, he sacrificed his own life even, so that we could be connected and renewed, find purpose, all of these things. So that everything we have is a gift, that all we do is a gift of grace, and that we can't claim anything for ourselves because of how amazing we are, because even the breath that we have right now in this moment is a gift. Even the fact that we're awake, even the fact that we have strength, even the fact that we have any resources, even the fact that we're able to study really hard and learn, even the fact that we can work hard and progress in our career, every little bit, when you break it down, you break it far enough back, comes down to something that's a gift to us, grace. So we're dependent beings. We live by grace. That's what we listen to in our left ear. Now, if we just listen to that, it's amazing how quickly we can turn something that's a beautiful gift that's meant to free us, that's meant to give us hope, like grace, into a reason to feel bad about ourselves. That's what we do. Unfortunately, we, we, we turn grace into, I'm a terrible human being. How could God even love me? You know, I'm a pip squeak jerk, you know. I, I, why am I even, you know, and that's what we take grace. We turn a beautiful gift and turn it into this reason to feel bad about ourselves. So we can't just listen with our left ear. We also have to listen to our right ear, which says this, you're the light of the world. I like the way Miroslav Volf talks about this idea of grace. Because the question that he apparently has been asked and that I think we ask ourselves is, you know, this idea of grace, doesn't that sort of undercut human dignity? Maybe that's the reason we start to feel bad about ourselves because we have to, grace means we're dependent. We're not self-sufficient. And he said this. He says, if depending on God's grace denies anything, it denies that we're tiny, self-obsessed specks of matter who are reaching for the stars but remain hopelessly nailed to the earth stuck in our own self-absorption. And his idea is that grace turns us into God-empowered creatures. That grace empowers us to be things we never could be on our own. That grace is a gift not just because maybe we don't deserve it, but also because of what it creates in us that we can never have on our own. And so we listen with our left ear to remind ourselves of grace, and with our right ear the message of God saying things to us like, you are the light of the world. You are the person I put in this situation to make a difference. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And so the left ear keeps us humble, keeps us connected to Jesus. And the right ear gives us hope and purpose. And listening to both voices gives us both rootedness, solid footing, right? And courage to step out and invest in fighting the decay of turning the tables on oppression. How? Well, what is your purpose? Well, let's start broad. Your purpose is to act purposefully. It's about as broad as we can get, right? Your purpose is to be purposeful. You know, there's a clear, I think, call to action in this passage to be salt and light, right? Wouldn't you read that too? Do something. Make a difference. 
Verse 13 says, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. Just throw it on the ground and trample it underfoot. So time is important. Time is of the essence. There's a chance that we could lose the ability to make a difference if we wait too long, if we don't act, if we're not purposeful, right? When meat goes bad, do we blame the meat? No. It needed salt, or in our day and age, it needed to be put in a refrigerator. Whatever it was, it's not the meat's fault. That's what happens when it's left on its own, right? In the same way, a famous theologian named John Stott wrote this. He said, when a room is dark, we don't curse the darkness. We turn on a light. In verse 15, follows this theme. It says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So let me suggest that we not just act randomly and do good things. And there's nothing wrong with random acts of kindness. Like eight years ago, that was a really popular bumper sticker. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we want to make a difference, purposeful action is what it's called, is what's called for. You know, there are a million wonderful things we could do, but what should you do? How can we not just act, but act purposefully? Let me, to help you with this, I just want to ask you two questions. This is, I'm going to ask the question, but I actually want you to think about it now. And I've left space in your bulletin if you want to write some of these thoughts out. Because this can help you at least get the ball rolling. The first question is this. What do you do, no wait, that's the second question. First question is this. Where do you notice the decay? Where? Without trying. You don't have to sit down for an hour and think about what's wrong in the world. These are the things that stick in your craw or that break your heart or that keep you up at night or that you notice when you're walking around the city. You just can't help but notice. What irks you? Where do you feel compassion for people without trying? Where do you find yourselves dreaming of what could be, how things could be different? Now just take a moment. I'm just going to give you probably less than a minute even. And I want you to actually think about that. I don't want you to think too long because it should pop, pop, pop right up. Where does that happen for you? And if you want to, I'd encourage you to just write it down. I really think that God can use our hearts, the things that bother us, that give us hope, to tell you about where you should act, right? Next question. What do you do that always seems to make the situation better in your life? What do you do that always seems to make the situation better? You know, what is it? Are you able to help bring organization to situations? Uh, Do you encourage people with your words? Do you have business smarts? Do you make people feel welcome? Is it easy for you to lead teams? You know, what thing do you do that brings fresh air to a situation naturally without you having to try too hard? It just happens. You just notice. Maybe even people have mentioned it to you. I always feel more at home when you're around, you know. I don't know. It It could be anything. Man, kids really respond well to you. 
dude, thank you for helping me get my um, checkbook in order or going online with me and figuring this out. The thing that you don't have to try that hard but seems to happen, that's where you're gifted. What's the, what, you know, what, what are those things? Just take a moment, write it down. Those are your gifts. Now, here's the thing. If you can put those two things together, what you notice, where you see the decay, and where you're naturally gifted, the thing you do that makes situations better without you trying that hard, if you can put those two things together, that's dynamite. Not only can you make a huge difference, but man, your life will come alive. The energy that you will feel. You can work really hard at those, where those two things come together and feel like you're not working at all. What are those two things? How do you answer those two questions? If you can answer those two questions and then pray and invite the Holy Spirit to pour out grace to make you a God-empowered creature, as Wolf puts it, man, that's the trifecta right there. I mean, that, that, that can be so powerful. And that, I think, is what, when I talk to people in coffee shops around Philadelphia, when I sit down and have coffee with people in this room, you know, one of the things we do that's different, you know, we always want to help people connect to our church, but we've changed the questions that we ask over the years. So when I was first getting started, I was very passionate about getting this started. And so if I sat down to coffee with you, it'd be like, hey, how can you get involved, right? Because I'm trying to build this thing, right? Over the years, I've realized that was not... That's fine, but that's not the most important thing. The questions we ask now when we meet for people with coffee who are new or we're catching up with people is what are you trying to do in your life? Who are you trying to be? What are you trying to accomplish? How can I or how can we come alongside you and see that happen? Because that's where life pops. If our goal became just building this church, there'd be a lot less lives popping. But if we can help you discover what you care about and what you're good at and how those things can come together in the, and be empowered by grace, that's awesome. So you just started thinking about those. Some of you know the answers, but you should keep thinking about it. And if you're a spiritual person, you follow Jesus, ask Jesus about it. What's your heart, Jesus? What are you doing? And if you're just discovering this stuff, take a risk and ask Jesus about it. And listen. See what pops. And if you have an idea, even now, let me just plant the seed. This isn't happening until the summer. But we're serious about empowering people and who they're made to be when they notice something that needs change or transformation or that they're excited about, coming alongside of them and helping them, which is you, do those things. This summer, we're going to do a thing called LDI, Leadership Development Intensive. It's designed to be a place where you can bring your idea, your passion, your gifts, meet with people who will encourage you in that, coach you in that, and even, when necessary, provide resources, not millions of dollars, but maybe a little bit of money even, to help it happen. Start thinking now. You don't have to wait till the summer. 
We can get coffee next week. But we're going to do that. I want to plant the seed for that now. Because we've seen that when that happens, when we get a group of people together with ideas about making a difference, it's super dynamic. It's super fulfilling. And everyone gets so much out of it. So that's my plug for LDI. Don't forget about it, but don't wait either. So as amazing as it sounds, this popping life, these three things coming together, at the same time, if we're honest and we look around and we see the amount of decay around us, and this is worth saying, it can definitely seem overwhelming. The problems, the decay can seem so big that it can be discouraging. So let me leave you with two hopeful encouragements from Jesus concerning that. First, a little bit. A little bit goes a long way. You'd be shocked. The little bit that you think you have to offer, you will be shocked by the difference that it makes. When Jesus used this analogy of salt and meat, you know, the, the ratio of meat to salt is really high on the meat side and really low on the salt side. If you just have a little salt, you can season up a dish, or you can cover that meat so that it doesn't decay. It just takes a little bit. Also, I, you've probably noticed this because we don't try and preserve things with a lot of salt these days, but how much light does it take to light up a dark room? Like, the darker it is, almost the smaller amount of light you need. I remember one time my family, my, I don't know why, my dad is into caves. He loves touring caves. And so it seems like a lot of times in my childhood, we would be traveling to visit family or, or some little thing like that, and my dad would see like a billboard for Merrimack Caverns or Mammoth Caverns. You know, you've, if you've ever driven across country, there's all these, this is the greatest cave ever, this Huck Finn Cavern, Tom Sawyer. I mean, and I live in the Midwest, so, you know, I don't know. We had to drive more to get places. So I went through tons and tons and tons of caves. It was fun. But I remember one time we were deep in this cave, and you get down where there's no natural light. I mean, it is, it is as dark as it can get. The darkest places on earth, I visited some of them. Because once there's no light, there's no light. <laughs> and I remember one cave we went, and the tour guide uh, said it's, you know, it turned off all of the lights, all of the electrical lights they had in there. And he took one flashlight, and he went off in the corner, and he lit the flashlight and did this trick where he would take his hand and go towards the flashlight. And there would be this gigantic hand over this huge cavernous cavern hole. And it was just one little flashlight lit up the whole cave. And he could do all these different funky things that were impressive to a six-year-old, right? <laughs> one little light in the darkest place on earth was all he needed. You don't have to have a lot to make a difference. And you're probably underestimating the difference that a little thing can do. I've seen it in relationships. I've seen relationships uh, in the place like a millimeter from ending, marriages ending. And just a little, like, it almost as simple as I asked him to take the trash out, and he did. The tiniest spark of hope explodes, and the whole relationship goes in another direction. The littlest amount of light. So what do you have? You know, when Jesus did one of his most famous miracles, he took five loaves 
two fishes, and fed about 10,000 people. That's what he does. You take what you have. The little bit you have, it goes a long way. Don't underestimate it. Don't let it stop you. You might think this will make no difference. Do it anyway. Second, the you in this passage is plural. So when Jesus is saying all these things, you know, in, in a Greek, they have different tenses for pronouns. Sorry if that sounds so boring, right? Pronoun is how you describe a person. You know, you, I, me, they. So in English, if we, you know, it's just like in, the word you in English can mean you, one person, or I can say you to the whole group of us. And I use the same word. It's the same in Greek. No, it's not the same in Greek. Sorry. There's different words in Greek. So there's a word for you being singular, one person, you, you, you. And there's another completely different word for you, meaning everybody, unlike English, where it can be either or. Jesus uses the word you in the plural sense, the whole crowd, everyone who's listening. He's not saying you, one person. He's saying all of you and you together. So you're not alone in this. And he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You have this lamp and post. Yeah, that's an individual thing, like one light. But a city has thousands, maybe even millions of lights. So he's talking to both you as an individual, but he's also saying, look, you are connected to all of these people. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We're doing this together. That's why this fall has been so encouraging to me and seeing all these dreams actually start to happen. That's why this is a part of the vision of our church. It's not about individuals. It's about us. And that's why next week we're starting a series on team, how important team can be to us, what we need in a team, how we can build a team. So let me just wrap it up. We live in a world of entropy. Things are, if you coast, you're dying. I had an email or Facebook from a friend who, Facebook said, hey, I'm praying for you and Becca. You know, what can I be praying for? I was like, wow, that's awesome. Here's just some things you can pray. And then he said, what can we pray for you about? And he said, this, this, and this. And then one thing that stuck out to me, stuck out, stuck out to me, was he said, and pray for my marriage. He said, it's going great. But when you start, I don't want to start coasting. Entropy happens in everything. If it coasts, you're dying. Okay? Second, we're the answer to that. And so let's figure out who we are, what we're passionate about, where we're gifted, and let's start doing those things or continue doing those things. Let's pray. As I'm praying, if you're on the worship team, if you can make your way forward. Jesus, our prayer is for that trifecta to happen, that... um, thing that we're passionate about, connecting uh, with the gifts that you've given us, and then being empowered by your grace. And I pray that a vision for that would be renewed or born in our hearts this morning. I pray that where ideas, passions have begun to fade, that you would bring new hope to those areas of our lives right now. I pray that where our gifts have sort of been pushed to the side, or even worse, like discounted or for life or people have sort of just pressed them down. Um, and it just feels like, I don't even know if I, I have any gifts. I pray that you would 
just begin to kind of peel back the layers of gunk that have get placed on top of uh, the abilities you've given to us. I pray there'd be new hope. I pray you'd help us see those things again and remember them or discover them for the first time. And then most of all, even as I pray right now, even as uh, we worship together, uh, would you, Holy Spirit, actually and really come and be here empowering us as we worship you, uh, developing us as God-empowered creatures. We look to you, and even as you come, highlight those passions, highlight those gifts, and draw us into you. Amen.